my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict iron jaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. That that way. Way. Blank is the killer. Hello and welcome to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast where I, your creature in the night, Josh Baker, cover six new-to-me horror movies with a random spooky topic seven at the end. This episode covers Demon Spawn, Inbred Spawn, and Clone Spawn. No comic book spawn, though. Before we jump into things, I wanted to let you listeners know that you can now send your burning questions to blankisthekiller at gmail.com. Ask me literally anything. Did you ever listen to one of my reviews and completely disagree with my opinion? Tell me why a movie I liked is terrible, or why one I despised is actually good. I would love to have some civil discourse regarding differing opinions. Now back to your regularly released episode. Join me for a lock-in in this spooky, possibly haunted mansion. If you survive the night, you'll know a little bit more about some movies. I don't have... Any money to give you, though. Number one, House on Haunted Hill, 1999, directed by William Malone. Five people, Eddie, Blackburn, Sarah, Melissa, and Pritchett, are invited to a house that used to be an asylum by Stephen Price for his wife Evelyn's birthday. Pritchett's family has worked on the house for generations. He is terrified of it. Spooky stuff starts happening. Everyone thinks the activity is Mr. Price's doing since he runs a spooky amusement park. Melissa disappears. Evelyn is found being shocked to death. Price is blamed. Evelyn is alive and in cahoots with Blackburn. She kills him. Sarah shoots at Price because she thinks he's the killer. Her gun was filled with blanks. Price attacks Evelyn. Evelyn is killed by a hive mind of ghosts which is called the Darkness. Price finds Melissa's cut-apart body. The darkness kills Price and Pritchett. Ghost Pritchett helps Sarah and Eddie escape. Mental patients, Dr. Vonnegut, Evelyn, and the darkness are the killers. House on Haunted Hill starts off showing Dr. Vonnegut committing inhumane experiments on people in the asylum. The patients get free and kill the handlers and Vonnegut. Vonnegut locks down the building, which causes a fire to kill everyone inside. To start things off, I'm a big fan of the original. In the original House on Haunted Hill, there aren't actually any supernatural goings on. I didn't mind the inclusion of legitimate ghosts in this remake. Jeffrey Rush plays Stephen Price, the in-your-face Vincent Price replacement. Rush is no Price. They tried to make him look like Price, which didn't work at all. They should have just gone with a new eccentric rich guy instead of making Rush a Vincent Price knockoff. Someone like John Waters would have been a great pick. Allegedly, Waters was who Rush was trying to encapsulate, but I don't see it. 
Jeffrey Rush has zero charisma when directly compared to Vincent Price. To his credit, most people suck in comparison to Vincent Price, and Rush was amazing as Barbosa in Pirates of the Caribbean. Famke Janssen plays Evelyn and she's wonderful. She must be in the Immortal Club because she looks the same now as she did in this movie that came out 20 years ago. House on Haunted Hill is chock full of familiar faces. You have Peter Gallagher, best known for his portrayal as the coolest dad ever, Sandy Cohen, playing Blackburn. Spike, aka James Marsters, is a cameraman that's in the movie for two seconds. Chris Kattan is present, overacting whenever he's on screen as Pritchett. Ali Larder, the survivor of the original Final Destination, underacts throughout as Sarah. Jeffrey Combs appears as Vonnegut, who barely has screen time. And Bridget Wilson, aka Veronica Vaughn, plays Melissa. The only movie I can think of where I was like, Hey, look, it's so-and-so. As much as I did while watching House on Haunted Hill is probably the faculty. For the most part, I really like the cast. I already called out Catan and Larder for their acting. Everyone else is decent. House on Haunted Hill is a jumbled mess. It's like someone wanted to make a movie where people are trapped in a house with actual ghosts and could only make that movie if they shoehorned in all the plot points from the original House on Haunted Hill. This is two movies in one. As a House on Haunted Hill remake, it's not great. As a standalone trapped in a ghost house movie, it's interesting but still kind of bad. I actually really like the idea of the darkness. It's basically a Rorschach test made of ghosts. An amalgam of all the ghosts of people that died in a building as one entity is really cool. Was the CGI in House on Haunted Hill good enough to capture such a unique ghost swarm? Nope. Will I steal the idea and try to use it in a haunted house based D&D campaign in the future? Definitely. I would like to see a remake of the remake of House on Haunted Hill that focuses solely on people being trapped in a house with the darkness idea. Someone get Del Toro on the phone. Back to talking about the House on Haunted Hill remake that actually exists. There is some cool stuff in the movie. I like the sequence where Melissa can see ghosts using her video camera. The ghost noticing her is pretty creepy. There is some spooky imagery that I like strewn about the film. A lot of the creepy, surreal imagery is shown when Stephen Price is locked in a chamber and begins hallucinating. The hallucinations felt very Hellraiser-inspired. I'm a fan of that weird, surreal stuff and wish we got more. At one point, a ghost thing is seen down a hallway that looks creepy until we get the first occurrence of the fast, jittery movement effect in the movie. I've complained about how I think this effect looks incredibly lame on past episodes. House on Haunted Hill uses the sped up jittery movement at least three times in the movie. It's not scary, it's not cool, it's not interesting, it's just lame. The best gore reveal is when we see that Price's assistant's face has been removed. I also liked Sandy Cohen's decapitated head and Vanicut's cuts left on patience. Fun, gory times. Before Evelyn was brought back to life, it looked like Sandy Cohen was going to bang her corpse. I had seen the original and was pretty sure they were in cahoots, but for a second I thought the movie 
was going down the necrophilia route. Ghost Chris Catan saving the day was probably the cheesiest possible ending. I actually laughed out loud when he appeared as a friendly ghost. The opening credits are hideous and should be shown as an example of what not to do in design classes. Marilyn Manson's cover of Sweet Dreams is played twice, once in the movie and then while the credits roll. House on Haunted Hill is a mess that I don't recommend fully. If you're interested in seeing a mess though, some enjoyment can be had. It has some neat ideas but the execution just isn't there. The set did look pretty good though. Dark Castle Entertainment appears to always be on point when it comes to production design. I'll give them that. Check out the 13 Ghosts remake instead. Number 2, Case 39, 2009, directed by Christian Alvart. A social worker named Emily has a 39th case piled on her workload. She meets a girl named Lilith, whose parents appear to be abusive. Emily gives Lilith her phone number. Lilith calls Emily late at night, which prompts Emily and her policeman friend to go to Lilith's house where they find her parents trying to kill her. The parents are arrested, and Emily decides to temporarily adopt Lilith. A boy kills his parents after Lilith calls him. More people start mysteriously dying. Emily talks to Lilith's dad, who confirms she's a demon. Lilith kills the policeman with her demon powers. Emily tries to burn her house down with Lilith in it, but Lilith escapes. Emily drives her car into the ocean with Lilith inside. Lilith drowns. Lilith is the killer. She made people kill others and themselves, so she's responsible. The only movie I can think of with a kid killer that didn't turn out unintentionally hilarious is The Omen. Case 39 isn't another exception. It's dumb. If you're going to make a movie where a kid is the villain, you better find an amazing child actor. Jodell Furland's acting in Case 39 is nowhere near good enough to carry this movie. I liked Renee Zellweger as Emily and the always amazing Ian McShane as her policeman friend. A random Bradley Cooper appears. He dies after hallucinating that a bunch of CGI hornets are popping out of all his orifices. The Cooper and the Hornet scene is hysterical. It reminded me a lot of Nicolas Cage's Not the Bees scene in The Wicker Man. I've seen that scene like almost everyone probably has, but I still need to see that movie in its entirety. The Cage one and the original. Case 39 has a lot of dumb stuff in it. If the parents are trying to kill the demon, why would they use an oven as the murder weapon? Why would you not shoot it? It isn't implied that they've tried other means. Did they Google how do you kill some kids and click on the first result they saw which happened to be an article written by the witch from Hansel and Gretel? They should have Googled how to kill a demon. You'd think fire or heat wouldn't even be effective. Emily really needs to learn to dissociate herself from her job. You have to be somewhat apathetic to survive in a field like Child Protective Services or it'll eat you alive and make you rashly adopt a demon spawn. Emily breaks so many rules and laws to end up with this kid. The mom from Dead Like Me randomly shows up for a bit. I'm only noting this in order to recommend the show Dead Like Me. It's great. Case 39 isn't though. Case 39 is almost so absurd and bad that it's a great comedy, but unfortunately the movie is a little too mediocre to even be considered as bad good. 
In regards to gore, there are some okay looking burn and scratch marks applied practically. Policeman Ian McShane breaks Lilith's dad's jaw, which looks gnarly, and isn't something you normally see in a movie. The dad hallucinates that a fellow prisoner is Lilith, which prompts dad to plunge a metal fork into the other inmate's neck. This looks okay, but I'm pretty sure metal silverware isn't allowed anywhere near convicts, especially ones arrested for attempted murder. Besides the hornets that come out of Bradley Cooper, there is some other blatantly bad CGI. Bad CGI is used to make Lilith look like a demon a few times. My biggest gripe with Case 39 is the amount of terrible jump scares it includes. There must be at least 8 jump scares, and only one of them is done in a manner that works in any way. Police Ian is telling us about a kid who killed his parents and was crawling up the walls when a dog suddenly runs at a window behind Ian and starts barking. That one got me. All the others were poorly executed and more annoying than anything. The best part of the whole movie is when Emily walks into a room and finds Lilith watching rap music videos while eating popcorn. Blatant proof that rap music is making the youth violent. Emily flips the TV over and starts yelling get out at Lilith. It's hilarious. Case 39 is a mediocre movie about an evil child. It's basically a remake of The Omen. You might as well just check out The Omen. A new killer kid movie called Brightburn is coming out soonish. Hopefully a movie about a killer kid Superman lives up to the hype. Number 3, Wrong Turn, 2003, directed by Rob Smith. Two random rock climbers are killed. After this, a guy named Chris takes a back road and crashes into a van that had run over some maliciously placed barbed wire. Chris meets a group of friends, Jesse, Carly, Scott, Evan, and Francine. Chris, Jesse, Carly, and Scott try to find help and come across a house. Evan and Francine are murdered by a trio of deformed brothers. The house the others found belongs to the brothers who show up. The group runs away and Scott is killed. Chris, Jesse, and Carly continue to run. The brothers catch up to them and kill Carly. Jesse is kidnapped. A cop shows up and is killed. Chris goes back to the house to save Jesse. Jesse and Chris fight the brothers and blow them up. The police are investigating the house. At least one brother is still alive. The trio of deformed brothers are the killers. Wrong Turn was written by Alan McElroy. The movie is set in West Virginia. The McElroy brothers are from West Virginia. There are three McElroy brothers. There are three deformed brothers in Wrong Turn. I'm not saying the Deformed Trio is based on the McElroy Brothers, but I'm also not not saying the McElroy Brothers were the inspiration. For the record, the McElroy Brothers are not deformed murderous hillbillies. It was easier to keep track of the Hillbilly Brothers after naming them Griffin, Travis, and Justin. If you've never heard of My Brother, My Brother, and Me, or The Adventure Zone, all of that nonsense meant nothing, and I apologize. Wrong Turn 2 is a member of the group of friends ends up in murderous hillbilly territory genre. Surprisingly enough, I have not seen many of these movies. I've seen Tucker and Dale vs. Evil and Cabin Fever, which don't really count. I guess I can count the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I still need to check out The Hills Have Eyes eventually. 
Wrong Turn is a competent hillbilly slasher. It stars Elijah Dushku as Jesse and Desmond Harrington as Chris. You all know who the former is, and the latter is probably best known for his role as Detective Quinn on Dexter. Of course, the biggest star in the movie is Kevin Zeggers. He plays Evan. Who's Kevin Zeggers? No other than the kid from Airbud. He's the first of the friends to die and wear some of the ugliest sunglasses I have ever seen. No golden retrievers die or play any sports in Wrong Turn. The characters in Wrong Turn are incredibly stupid. Let's go through their terrible decisions. Chris crashes into a group of friends' van. They decide to walk and get help. Instead of walking back towards where they are sure civilization exists, they decide to venture further and further into the wilderness. Chris, Jesse, Scott, and Carly are in the hillbillies' house. The hillbillies do not know that Chris and friends are there. The friends know that the hillbillies are murderers. No attempt at a surprise attack is made. The friends hide and wait for the hillbillies to fall asleep. Instead of killing the hillbillies in their sleep, the friends loudly leave the house which wakes up the hillbillies. Somehow the friends are able to steal the hillbilly tow truck with only one casualty. Instead of driving back towards civilization, they drive deeper into the wilderness until they run into a roadblock. The truck ends up stuck in some mud. The friends have a huge lead on the hillbillies and could easily spend five minutes getting the truck out of the mud, but instead the friends abandon the truck and venture deeper into the wilderness. In the wilderness, the friends find a watchtower. It's dark so they light a bunch of glow sticks to let the hillbillies know exactly where they are. The hillbillies begin climbing up the watchtower ladder. All the friends need to do is throw anything at the hillbillies to knock them off the ladder and probably kill them. The friends do nothing. That's most of the really dumb stuff. The friends end up jumping out of the watchtower into the trees, which is ridiculous, but I found the whole treetop sequence really unique and fun, as implausible as it was. I like a nice dose of ridiculous fun in my slasher movies. One dumb thing I almost forgot about, Chris decides he's going to shoot some gas tanks to blow up the hillbillies. He decides this when he's about 10 feet from the tanks. Does Chris A slowly walk back to a safe distance before shooting the tanks? Or B instantly shoot the tanks while under no duress which almost kills him and Jesse? You know it was B. I'm assuming all the hillbillies are alive since there are multiple sequels to Wrong Turn. The hillbillies seem nigh unkillable, and the one with the bow is practically a deformed Hawkeye. He hits some mean shots with that bow. The gore in Wrong Turn is solid. Bodies are cut up. The top of Carly's head is chopped off with an axe. The girl who was doing drugs and sex and airbud kid all grown up is killed with barbed wire, which looked gnarly. All the gore is practical. The designs for the hillbilly brothers are great. They all look creepy and believable. The acting isn't amazing. I liked Chris as a character. Normally you'd make that character kind of a douchebag, but he was actually a nice guy, which was refreshing. A lot of dumb stuff happens in Wrong Turn, but it's still an entertaining time. Check it out if you're a fan of normies being hunted by hillbillies. Since the second installment was released in theaters, 
Number four, Wrong Turn 2, Dead End, 2007, directed by Joe Lynch. A reality show called The Apocalypse Ultimate Survivalist is filming in the West Virginia wilderness. The contestants are Elena, Jonesy, Amber, Jake, Nina, and originally a girl named Kimberly. Kimberly was killed by cannibal hillbillies on her way to the production. So the director, who goes by M's girlfriend Mara, takes Kimberly's place. A tech guy named Neil is killed. The survivalist host Dale is captured. Mara and Nina stumble upon a cabin and witness an inbred hillbilly birth. The hillbillies see them and make chase, killing Mara. Elena is also killed and M is captured. Dale escapes and starts killing hillbillies. Amber and Jonesy are killed. M is revealed to be dead, and Nina and Jake are captured. Dale saves them but is killed in the process. Nina and Jake kill the remaining hillbillies. One of the hillbillies survived and is feeding the baby hillbilly. The cannibal hillbilly family are the killers. Welp, I was a little misled here. Wrong Turn 2 was screened at some festivals, one being Fantastic Fest, which I'll be attending this year. But this was a straight-to-DVD movie. Luckily for me, it's not that bad. Wrong Turn 2 is bad, though. The movie starts off promising. Some celebrity, Kimberly Caldwell, whom I've never heard of, is literally chopped in half vertically by one of the hillbillies. This kill is hilarious and self-aware. I'd say the entire movie is self-aware, but boy oh boy does it drag hard after the first half. All of the other kills are pretty lame. There isn't much decent gore barring that first kill. Sure an old man explodes and it's bloody and hilarious. Later on two more hillbillies also explode. It's boring the second time around. Somehow this movie even made a big meat grinder kill boring. Two characters get one arrow shot through both their heads, which was kinda neat. Mara taking a hatchet to the dome was fun, mostly because the throw that plants the hatchet in her head couldn't have possibly been made. These hillbillies are crazy good at throwing hatchets. So yeah, not much gore, but there is a believable, practically done barf. It's weird that most movies can't make someone throwing up look convincing. You at least got that right, wrong turn to. Before I move on, in the first movie there was an old man who ran a gas station and a hillbilly credited as Three Finger. They both return in wrong turn too. The old man is revealed to be the dad? Three Finger was the hillbilly that survived the first film. He's also the one that survives in this sequel. When talking about the original, I said the hillbillies looked great. The hillbilly cannibals look terrible in Wrong Turn 2. None of the hillbillies look like they actually have flesh. They all look like people wearing stiff rubber prosthetics. Three of the hillbillies have giant watermelon heads and horribly fake looking teeth. I'm assuming the head designs were inspired by the melon heads myth, which appears to be a thing. The hillbillies get a lot more screen time in this sequel, which is another reason why they look so fake. You don't want to put your monster on screen this much. It gets boring and ruins the mystique. Like the gore and makeup, the acting is also worse in the sequel. 
I don't think I'll ever be able to take Henry Rollins seriously. He plays Dale and at one point his character has a montage of him getting ready to fight the hillbillies, which is hilarious because of how lame it is. The actor who played Jake's name is Texas Battle. I don't have anything else to say about him besides letting you know that his name is Texas Battle. Mara is set up to be the final girl and I liked her. Unfortunately, my expectations were subverted and she dies after seeing M get a beach from Elena. It's one of those situations where the dude is forced to cheat on his girlfriend due to being frozen by the temptress's beach powers, which I find oddly humorous. There was no way he could have stopped that evil temptress Elena. Is unstoppable beach an actual trope? Nina is the real final girl and she's the mean vegan. She's fine, I guess. I hated the amount of pointless exposition we got from old man cannibal dad. No one likes grandpa exposition. I never cared to know how the murderous hillbillies came about. Let my imagination fly, man. There's an awful fight scene between Dale and Three Finger that lasts probably a minute, but has a billion cuts. It made me feel a bit of motion sickness. Wrong Turn 2 was a wrong turn as far as sequels go. I love the reality show premise, but it's just not capitalized on here. Let Wrong Turn die with the first one. A younger me would have considered watching all six Wrong Turn movies for the podcast, but post-Pumpkinhead series covering Josh will not submit himself to that hell. Never again. Number 5, Catacombs, 2007, directed by Tom Coker and David Elliott. An American girl named Victoria goes to Paris after receiving a postcard from her sister Carolyn. In Paris, Victoria meets up with Carolyn and meets her friends who like to scare people. Everyone goes to a rave in the catacombs. The group breaks off from the main party. Victoria runs off. Carolyn runs after her and is killed by a man wearing a goat mask. Victoria runs away and ends up back at the party. The police show up so all the partygoers disperse. In the chaos, Victoria is knocked out. When she comes to, she's all alone and finds out the exit she knows about is locked. Victoria looks for a different exit and meets another person who's lost named Henry. Henry falls through a floor and breaks his leg. Victoria takes his map and leaves him. The goat man starts chasing Victoria again. She hits him with a pickaxe, which also breaks his lantern. Victoria is eventually found in the dark by Carolyn and her friends. Everything was a prank. Victoria actually killed one of the friends, thinking they were trying to kill her. Carolyn is vicious to her sister. Victoria kills everyone, leaves the catacombs, and hails a cab. Victoria and a stampeding crowd are the killers. We see a woman who's been trampled to death during the police raid. Catacombs is a movie I had high hopes for. I'm not sure why I had high hopes. It stars Shannon Sossaman as Victoria. I like her a lot. She's great in Rules of Attraction and Risk Cutters A Love Story. In Catacombs, she's not amazing. Shannon is not a scream queen, which is fine. She tries her best, but her screams just don't work half the time. It's been a long time since I've seen One Missed Call, and I haven't seen Sinister 2, so maybe she's better in those, and the issue with Catacombs is the direction she was given. I'd actually believe that, seeing as there are two directors for this movie. 
I wasn't sure if I was supposed to hate Victoria or not. After she meets Henry, who she knows only speaks French, she asks him a million silly questions in English. If I was lost in the catacombs and came across someone else who didn't speak my language, I'd probably blab uncontrollably too though. To be fair, Shannon is by far the best actor in this movie. I mostly wasn't a fan of her screams, which is a weird thing to say, but I've never really had an issue with someone's screams before. Maybe I found them bad due to the amount of screams. I really like the idea of someone being trapped in the catacombs. Getting lost down there is inherently scary. Somehow I've gotten this far into catacombs without letting you know who plays Carolyn. Carolyn is played by Alicia Moore. You don't know who Alicia Moore is? She also goes by Pink. Yep, Pink plays the terrible sister. She's awful to Victoria. She calls her the R and C word. Carolyn is such a mean, evil sister that you are cheering when Victoria murders her. When Carolyn is shown with her throat ripped out, I called that everything would be a prank on the spot. Then things kept going. And going. At some point in Catacombs, I decided it couldn't be a prank. If it was revealed to be a prank after this point, Catacombs would be absolute trash. Then, it's revealed to be a prank. For the record, Henry wasn't in on the prank, so him dying is kind of a bummer. The problem with everything being a prank is that you don't even need a killer goat man or a twist. All you need is Victoria getting lost in the catacombs. That's it. That's a terrifying thing. The goat man isn't scary. The idea of being lost in miles of dark underground tunnels is. I should have known this movie was going to be garbage when they used the stock monster dinosaur sound in the first 10 minutes. I should have just turned off the movie there. They used the monster dinosaur sound effect at least four times and then started using a lion roaring sound effect instead, which isn't any better. These sound effects are used for the goat man. Besides bad choice of sound effects, there is also some really bad gore. Henry's broken leg with the bone protruding out looks terrible. On the flip side, the gore for the guy Victoria accidentally killed with the pickaxe looked pretty good. And so does Pink's fake ripped up throat. There are some awful looking CGI bats that come down on Victoria. There are then some actual rats that also come down on Victoria. I was hoping a bunch of cats would also fall on her, but that doesn't happen. At one point in the movie, Victoria slowly crawls over a wall of bones to get back to the party. She does this as slow as humanly possible, which doesn't make a lot of sense since she thinks a murderer is right behind her. It's really dumb, so I had to call it out here. Picture a sloth crawling on top of a pile of bones. Wait, that might be too fast. Anyways, picture the sloth crawling across some bones, and that's exactly how ridiculous the scene looks. Fun fact, unlike another Catacombs-based movie which I covered called As Above So Below, none of Catacombs was actually filmed in the Catacombs. All the Catacombs parts were shot in Romania. Catacombs premiered on Fearnet. The movie was never actually in theaters. Fearnet is totally dead now. I don't remember much about it. I kind of enjoyed watching Catacombs due to the premise, but I don't recommend seeking it out. 
Instead, watch as above, so below. If you're looking for a catacombs fix, or rules of attraction, or wrist cutters a love story, if you're looking for a Shannon Sossaman fix. Number 6, All That We Destroy, 2019, directed by Chelsea Stardust. A mother clones a girl, then has her psychopath son, Spencer, kill the clone. The clone was made from a girl named Ashley that Spencer killed. The mom is making multiple clones of Ashley to try and fix Spencer's murderous tendencies. It's revealed that he killed a little girl when he was a kid. It's also implied that he killed two dogs, and maybe even his dad, who may or may not be dead. A girl who's interested in Spencer named Marissa sees an Ashley clone and finds out original Ashley is a wanted criminal. Marissa lets herself into Spencer's house. Spencer kills her since she calls the police. Clone Ashley is then attacked by Spencer. Clone Ashley gets the upper hand and kills Spencer. Clone Ashley is then arrested even though she doesn't know anything about the original Ashley's crimes. Spencer's mom clones a new Spencer. Spencer is the killer. You've finally done it, Hulu Into the Dark. You've made a competent and interesting movie. It's not perfect, but all that we destroy is by far the best Into the Dark movie. I praised the last installment. I'm just effing with you, but that movie was only good because one character was fun to watch. All that we destroy is actually a decent movie. Who would have expected that? Does it make a lot of sense that a mom would clone a girl her son killed a bunch of times in order to try and cure his killer urges? Not really. It's revealed that therapy was attempted and wasn't working. Why wouldn't the next step be cloning Ashley's? After Spencer kills a bunch of Ashley clones and finds killing them unsatisfying, his mom teaches the clones more and more about being a real person. After an Ashley is properly groomed for murder, Spencer tells his mom the world feels alive again after killing the new and improved Ashley clone. So the idea is to have Spencer kill an Ashley whenever he has an urge to kill. The idea is not to fix his lack of empathy or make him realize killing is wrong. Well, since Spencer kills a bunch of Ashleys and a Marissa before getting killed by an Ashley himself, how's the gore? There isn't really any. Almost every kill is someone being strangled to the ground then having their head bashed on the floor until a blood pool forms. The blood pools look good. How's the acting? The person who I'm assuming is the dad isn't great. We only see the dad when the mom goes to talk to him in a glitchy digital world. I was not a fan of this. If it had been revealed that he was dead and only existed in the digital world, I would have been more okay with it, but it's never confirmed that the dad is actually dead. The mom is decent in parts, but completely flat in others. She's played by Samantha Mathis. The acting is only really flat and bad during the awful dad phone call scenes, which don't really have an impact on the story. So maybe all of that was added after the fact to pad the runtime or something. Israel Broussard, who I recognized from Happy Death Day, played Spencer and did an alright job. Dora Madison Burge is Marissa and her acting was alright, but her character didn't act like a normal person would. She basically throws herself at Spencer for no reason. No one would randomly pop up at someone's house and let themselves in after that someone didn't respond to one text. You barely know Spencer. 
You sent one text and only gave him like an hour to respond. Aurora Perrineau is Ashley. I liked her as the clones. Real Ashley doesn't make sense as a character either. Her partner in crime boots her out of a car. She then meets Spencer and decides to fully trust him right off the bat, just like Marissa ends up doing. Israel Broussard doesn't look threatening in the least, and I'm pretty sure these girls would be able to take him in real life. So maybe that's why they are so uncharacteristically trusting of this oddball boy. It's either that or maybe Spencer is just too darn irresistible in person. Even though the cloning plan is pretty dumb and Ashley and Marissa don't act like real people, All That We Destroy is still a decent movie and a step in the right direction for Hulu Into the Dark. Check it out. The director Chelsea Stardust has also done a few shorts, which are more comedic horror. I watched Slape Review, Marco Polo, and Project Hope, which were fun. Sounds like she's directing a feature called Satanic Panic, in which a pizza delivery girl ends up having to deal with a gaggle of Satanists. I'll definitely cover that once I get a chance to see it. Number 7, What We Do in the Shadows, TV series, 2019 onwards. I finally caught up on all the episodes of What We Do in the Shadows that are currently out. I watched the first episode and... Wasn't one over, which is why it's taking me so long to continue watching. I'm now six episodes in, and I still don't know how I feel about this show. One of the vampires is an energy vampire, you know, a vampire that drains other people of their energy by engaging in the most banal, boring conversations possible. I thought I'd hate this character, but Colin Robinson has grown on me a lot. I found the writing for his incredibly lame topics he comes up with to be pretty funny. There are two characters that do nothing for me, Nandor and his familiar Guillermo. Some of the writing for those two is funny, but the delivery does not work for me in the least. Luckily, the show is carried by Naja, who's played by Natasha Dimitrio. She's fantastic and a delight whenever she's on screen. Naja is married to the last vampire in the house, Laszlo, who's played by Matt Berry. Matt Berry is also great in this. The show would be amazing if Nandor and Guillermo disappeared. Since most of the vampires living in a modern day is roommates jokes were covered in the movie, the show has to have strong characters, which Colin Robinson, Naja, and Laszlo are. I like to watch them bring their quirky personalities to new and interesting situations. Unfortunately, Nandor and Guillermo are always close by, ready to bore me out of my mind and make me consider turning off the episode entirely. Technically, I've gotten like two smirks out of Guillermo and Nandor's antics. So far, there isn't really an overarching plot. There's a Baron character who shows up, but I'm not sure how important he'll end up being, especially given what happens in episode 6. There's a side character that's a college girl that Naja turned after seeing the girl's LARP group be mean to her. I'm interested to see what happens with Vampire LARP Girl. Well, this section is shorter than usual. I'll probably revisit what we do in the shadows once the first season wraps up. As of now, I'm still a bit lukewarm on it, but think it's entertaining enough to at least try. 
Thank you for tuning in to Blank is the Killer, episode 44, the episode that shocked the world. A decent Hulu into the dark movie? Get out of here. If you dug what you heard, leave a rating on iTunes. If you have any questions you'd like me to answer on the next episode, send them to blankisthekiller at gmail.com. Questions, gripes, corrections? I'd love to hear from y'all. I think a listener mail section could be fun. A big thanks to Sticker Fridge for hosting the podcast on their website. Go look at the website, stickerfridge.com. It's cool there. Blank is the Killer 45 will be released on May 19th. Until then, make sure to only make correct turns. Wrong turns are bad. Wrong turns lead to West Virginia. Apparently, the wilderness there is overrun with cannibal hillbillies like the McElroy brothers. No one wants to be murdered and or eaten by cannibal hillbillies or the McElroy brothers. I love the McElroy brothers. It's just a bad joke. Bye-bye.